You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we believe in your Son and we want to follow your Son. We pray that you would send your Spirit to strengthen us and to teach us how to do that better. God, we pray right now for the people of Paris, France. God, I pray that you would help people who are afraid to take courage. God, I pray that you would help those who are seeking revenge to seek justice. And God, I pray that in the midst of uh, chaos that you would bring uh, peace and healing. And God, we recognize right now that you are on your throne and that you are in control and that you are ruling and reigning. But God, I pray that you would hasten the day where you move from your throne and mount your horse and take your sword and come with your heavenly host and to bring justice once and for all. And that what we believe invisibly would become seen visibly by all as lightning shoots across the sky, that everyone would know that you are God. And that you created life. And that it is wrong for image bearers to kill other image bearers. And so God, I pray that you would bring justice. And that you would come quickly. And God, with attacks like the attack on Friday happening more regularly and with greater intensity it's just it's it's just pointing that you are coming soon and it's so vital for us to know if we're following you or not and so god i pray that there would be a great uh, sobriety a great seriousness and earnestness uh, in this room as your word is open and taught i pray these things in jesus name amen Amen. You can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, and um, if you don't have a Bible, the ushers are coming up and down the aisles right now. Just put up your hand or holler at them, and we'd love everyone to have the opportunity to follow along in God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you, Luke chapter 18. We're in a series called Following Him, and today we're going to talk about what it means to follow Him when we're experiencing financial difficulty. What following him means for those who are disadvantaged. But as we've been learning through this series that as you follow Jesus, you notice that he changes the way that we think. And he often takes the way that we look at the world and totally turns it upside down. You see, when I said financial difficulties, we assume that financial difficulties means not enough money. But today we're going to hear a story about a man who had financial difficulties. And the problem was not that he had not enough money. The problem was that he had too much money. 
And he was, in fact, disadvantaged. Normally, when we talk about being disadvantaged, we, we, we talk about somebody who doesn't have enough. And yet, this man was disadvantaged because he had too much. In Luke 18, verse 18, it says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? This man was a ruler. He was uh, probably in charge of his local synagogue. He had been chosen or elected to uh, administrate and organize the teaching and the finances and the organization of that local place of worship. That's why he had the title of ruler. He might have also been a member of the Sanhedrin that met in Jerusalem that gave ruling oversight over all the people of Israel living in Judea at the time. Uh, This was an influential person, an educated person, and he chooses to come to Jesus and ask him a question. And this guy is accustomed to getting things right, but in this interaction with Jesus, he gets a lot of things wrong. The first thing he gets wrong is Jesus. He calls him a good teacher. And then Jesus replies to him in verse 19, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Listen, Jesus isn't struggling with low self-esteem here. He's simply saying, if you're just going to call me a teacher, then don't call me good because only God is good. I'm not here just to be a teacher. I am good and I'm God. And I'm not just some teacher who's going to tell you how to get to heaven. I am a good God who has come down to heaven to show you how to get there. So he gets Jesus wrong right off the start. Notice he also gets salvation wrong. He asks in verse 18, what must I do to get eternal life? He thinks that he can somehow earn his entrance into heaven by doing certain good deeds or praying certain prayers or engaging in certain religious activities. He gets salvation wrong. Because salvation is not based on what we do, but what God has done. The good God, Jesus Christ, has come down to us to lay his life down, to suffer and die on the cross on our behalf so that we could receive eternal life. It's not what we do, it's what he has done. He gets Jesus wrong, he gets a salvation wrong, He's also, he also gets himself wrong. Jesus sort of plays along with him in verse 20. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the guy replies, verse 21, he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Really? You never once dishonored your parents? You never once lied? You never once stole anything in your whole life? This, this man is, is so drunk with self-righteousness that he is not even thinking clearly about his life and how he has lived it and the wrong things that he has done. When he calls Jesus a good teacher, he's asking as a good person. He thinks he's a good person, he thinks Jesus is a good teacher, and he thinks being a good person will get him to heaven. And he is out of touch. He gets Jesus wrong, he gets salvation wrong, he gets himself wrong. Because he gets all of those things wrong, he also gets money wrong, which is what Jesus zeroes in on when he speaks to him in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. 
But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. He had financial difficulties. He was disadvantaged because he had too much money. And Jesus said, follow me. Throughout this series, we've been looking at all of the invitations that Jesus gives to follow me. All of the times where Jesus lays it on the line and says, you're not my disciple unless. And here's one of the clearest where Jesus says, come and follow me. And we've looked at the call of discipleship, the cross of discipleship, the curriculum of discipleship, learning his truth, the commission of discipleship to go and make disciples, the conflict that results as our, as our discipleship, and the community that we belong to as disciples. And today's message is about the contentment of discipleship, that we need to be so content with Jesus that leaving anything behind is absolutely worth it. And from this interaction with this rich ruler, we're going to highlight three things as it relates to this issue of wealth and possessions. Here's the first one. It highlights the undetectable idolatry of money. The undetectable idolatry of money. Jesus knew where he was taking this man in the course of this conversation. The little discussion about some of the Ten Commandments and him calling him good teacher, all of these things, Jesus was leading him down a path, leading him down a path of exposing that money was a problem in this man's life. He did not see it coming. He did not know that this was a problem for him. Uh, This was an idol. When we talk about idolatry or about idols in our lives, uh, to, to worship anything other than God, that is an idol. An idol can be a number of things. It can be a person. It can be a certain goal or achievement that you want. It can be a certain possession. And in this man's case, and in many of our cases, one of the biggest idols that we worship instead of God is money. Notice how when Jesus is talking to the man, they start talking about the Ten Commandments. Here's the Ten Commandments that I just scratched down on a piece of paper. And there's two columns to the Ten Commandments. The, The first column, the first four commandments, these are all about how we relate to God. The second column, the next six, are all about how we relate to one another. The second column is horizontal. The first column is vertical. All of the horizontal commands flow from the vertical. But if you look at what Jesus lists in verse 20, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. He's taking them all from the second column. He's he's intentionally avoiding the first column. Then he asks him to leave everything behind and to follow him. And what is he doing in asking him to do that? He's highlighting that the man has broken the first command. You shall have no other God's before me. He's pointing out to the man that he has broken the first command, that money has become his God. And so Jesus lovingly communicates that to the man. In Luke chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can have no other gods before the one and only true God. That is idolatry. And Jesus says you can't serve two masters. Money is a master. 
And money can very subtly, and a way that goes undetected, we don't realize it, just like this man didn't realize it, we too don't often realize that money can become our master, it it can become our idol, our God. So Jesus, in exposing the commands, exposing this man's, um, exposing that he broke the first and most important command, then tells him in verse 22, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Right now, this man has treasure on earth. All of us, to some extent, have treasure on earth, and Jesus wants us to have treasure in heaven. And this is why, because Jesus cares about our hearts. Jesus said in Luke uh, chapter 12, verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This man wanted to know how to have eternal life. And Jesus ultimately gave him the answer. His answer to the question of how do I get eternal life is found at the end of verse 22. Follow me. He's not just a good teacher, he's the good God who came down from heaven. If you want to go to heaven, you follow him to heaven. He is the one who knows the way to get there. But for this man and for many of us, the thing that stops us or hinders us from following him is our money and the way that we think about money. It becomes an idol. Rather than worshiping Jesus, we worship money. But this man was caught totally off guard. He didn't see it coming. He didn't know that he had this kind of idolatry problem. That's why it says in verse 23, when he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. And that's why we need to be so careful about any discussion as it relates to money. This message is not just for the person who drove a a fancy new car here today. This, month, this message is for all of us. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, I heard a message about, about uh, money before, or I, I listened to a radio program about money, and I got serious, I took a course, and I'm doing budgeting, and I'm giving, and I'm tithing, I'm doing all of I dealt with I dealt with that like six or seven years ago, and so this, is, this was good for me back then, but I don't need to hear this now. Listen, you need to hear this now. I need to hear this now. Because the idolatry of money is so subtle, it's so sneaky, it creeps in so slowly that all of us need to be, this isn't a message for someone else, this isn't a message that you needed years ago, this is a message that every single one of us needs to hear loud and clear. You see, money becomes a god for us. It becomes an an idol when we start expecting money to do things for us that only God can do. And that's the lie of money and possessions. That's what Satan tries to whisper into our ears every time we put our hand on our wallet or look at our bank statement is that money can do for us what only God can do. We can look to money to be our source of security. I'm thinking that I will be safe, I will be protected because I know I have enough money to look after things. Or we can feel insecure and unprotected if we don't think we have enough money to cover things if things go wrong. Listen, God is the one who will protect us. He is the one who's promised to never leave us or forsake us. 
It could be a source of our security. It can also be a source of our identity. This young man, as he was considering walking away from his wealth and following Jesus, he wasn't content with the identity that he would have as a disciple of Jesus. He wanted to be a disciple and wealthy. Because being wealthy was part of who he was. Being the rich guy, being the wealthy guy. Moving in those circles, wearing those clothes, living that lifestyle, it became part of who he was, where God is supposed to define who we are. And we don't find our value based on what we possess or what we do. We find our value in that we are loved by an amazing God. So we can ask money to do things for us that only God can do. Rather than finding our pleasure and our delight in the simple gifts of God, we try to find pleasure and delight in things that we buy with our money. Rather than living for God's glory being the reason why we get up out of bed and why we live our lives, money can become the reason why we get up out of bed. To make more, to earn more. So we start asking money to do things for us that only God can do and it can happen so slowly and so subtly until we find out that we're, we're worshipping money, not God. We're trusting money, we're not trusting God. We're, we're obeying money, we're not obeying God. We're loving money, we're not loving God. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. And if you love money, you will end up obeying Money. You will end up trusting money. And the Apostle Paul warns us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, he says, he says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. If you let money be your master, if you start to love money, you will start to obey money, and money will start you, will start you down a road of doing evil things. It says, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. You're no longer following him. You're following money, which causes you to wander away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. Uh, Some people think that money in itself is evil. No, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And it's not the money that pierces us. We pierce ourselves. When we love money, money is neutral. But when we love money rather than loving God, when we love the gift rather than loving the giver, we end up piercing, hurting, harming ourselves when we let money be our master. Money's supposed to be our servant. We're supposed to use money. It's a tool for us to use to bring glory to God, but it can so easily usurp and become our master. When money's our master, we start doing things like being greedy, being proud, being envious, being filled with jealousy, lying to get more money, cheating to get more money, defrauding, going into debt, neglecting the things of God, neglecting our own family, giving into workaholism. All of these things happen. These are the all kinds of evil that the love of money is the root of. It's not money's fault, it's our fault. The problem is not in our wallet. The problem is in our hearts. That we have a heart that is bent towards idolatry, bent towards worshiping things other than God. Jesus told a parable about some soils and he equated the soil with different kinds of human hearts. 
And the soil that, was, that, had, that seed was planted that had thorns in it, it says, And for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, are choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Jesus is having this conversation with this rich young man. And he's sowing the seed of the word of God. And he's, try, he's, he's seeing that there's some thorns there. And he says, you need to sell all you have, give to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. He's saying, there are some thorns there. This is, gonna, this is not going to end well. You're going to get choked. So let's, let's weed this out. Let's till up the ground here. Let's make sure that this is good soil to plant the seed in. And he says, no, I like the weeds. I want to I keep it like that. So he goes away sad because he was extremely rich. And then in verse 24, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 26, Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. This interaction shows us how undetected the idolatry of money can be. It also shows us something else. It shows us the unstoppable power of God. The unstoppable power of God. Jesus takes something really, really big and something really, really small. And he says, if you can fit the big thing into the small thing, that's how hard it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And then the disciples, they throw up their hands and say, who then can be saved? And then Jesus points to God's unstoppable power to transform a life. And he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. The man was very sad. Matthew and Mark say at this point, the man actually walked away. Jesus invited him to follow, invited him to receive the gift of eternal life. And he walked away. He chose the thorns. We often don't recognize in this story is there was a third option. We tend to just sort of break this story down. We don't pay attention to what Jesus says in verse 27 about things being impossible for man but possible with God. We break it down and think there's only two options. Option one is to leave everything behind and go follow Jesus. Option two is to forget about Jesus and hang on to everything. There is a third option. How about this option? Jesus, I want to do it, but I can't. What do you think Jesus would have said to that? Well, man, you better get it together because I'm leaving. Do you really think that if the man was willing to admit, I can't do it, do you really think in that moment Jesus would have said, well, forget you, I'm only looking for people who can do it. But this man was thinking like we so often are, he was thinking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked him to do something impossible. To give up his idol. It was impossible. According to human standards, Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but with God it is 
possible. Jesus says, go down to the used camel dealership and take a needle from your mom's pincushion and when you get the massive thing to fit in the microscopic thing, come talk to me. He told him to do something impossible. Why? Because he wanted him to depend on him. And I don't want anyone here today to walk away sad because you think that you can't leave your wealth behind. You can't leave your wealth behind. You love it too much. I love it too much. And when I think I finally dealt with it once we're all back, it creeps in. The subtle idolatry, the undetectable nature that money just creeps in. We can't do it on our own. And all this man needed to do was to admit that. And all we need to do is admit that it's impossible for us in our own strength to let ourselves go of of the entanglement of the weeds, of the thorns that money and riches and wealth has on us. It's impossible for us to do it, but it is possible for God. If it wasn't possible, then we wouldn't see people saved like Abraham, like Job, like Boaz, like Solomon, like Nehemiah, like Joseph of Arimathea. These people who were very, very wealthy and yet very devoted to God. Why? Because God had done a supernatural work in their heart. And until we recognize that God needs to do a supernatural work in our heart, we might as well go back to monks and monasteries in the Middle Ages. Because all all of that is simply thinking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Giving things away is a and and thinking that because you give everything away that you're going to get eternal life, that is works righteousness. It's not what we do, it's what Jesus has done. Done, And only Jesus has the supernatural power to set us free from the grip of wealth and possessions in our hearts. It's impossible for us, but it's not impossible for God. It is possible. That's what Jesus wants us to hear loud and clear. That that man didn't need to walk away. He just needed to take one step closer to Jesus. Just like the father whose son is demon-possessed. And Jesus says, you got to believe. What did the father say? Oh, I don't have enough beliefs. Did he walk away sad? No, he said, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. I know money has a grip on me. Help me. Help me loosen its grasp. This knot is too tight. Untie it for me, Jesus. There was a third way. And there is a way That God can take us here in the city of Brampton, in a nation like Canada, one of the wealthiest of the world, that God, it is possible for God to take our hearts and to transform them. To take a heart, normally when you take a human heart and add it to money, normally the result is pride, arrogance, jealousy, envy, lying, stealing, and debt. Under normal circumstances, a normal human heart plus money, you mix those things together, it results in evil. 
And with man, it's impossible to change that. But with Jesus Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit working in the life of a believer, you can take a transformed heart and the same amount of money, and rather than greed and jealousy and envy and lying and stealing and debt, you end up with thanksgiving and gratitude and integrity and contentment and generosity. Only God can do that. You cannot do that. It's impossible. But it is possible with God. Jesus, Jesus proves it in the next chapter. Luke chapter 19. Just, just look a couple of paragraphs ahead. It says in chapter 19, verse 2, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now the rich young man... He seemed to not have a lot of issues. He was involved in the local synagogue. He thought at least that he obeyed most of the commandments. It seemed like his only problem was the idolatry of money. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, is a tax collector. He's got all kinds of problems. The, 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 the change that will need to happen in Zacchaeus' heart is not just a financial thing. It's, it's a moral thing. It all, his whole life is so messed up. It seems absolutely impossible for a tax collector to become a believer in Jesus. But after Jesus interrupts, or interacts with Zacchaeus, jumping down to verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood, which didn't make much difference because he was so short. Zacchaeus stood, maybe up on a chair or something, and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. What's the difference between Zacchaeus and the rich young man? Zacchaeus knew he was lost. Zacchaeus knew he needed help. It's interesting too, Zacchaeus offered to give up half of what he had. See, some people think that you have to give up everything. Jesus told the rich young ruler, you have to give up everything. Until your bank account says zero, you're not following Jesus. Jesus didn't go to Zacchaeus and be like, really, half? 50%? No. Jesus knows what's happening in our heart. And Jesus knew that Zacchaeus had been set free in that moment by the power of God, the God of the impossible. He knew that he had been set free. And he declared that salvation had come to his house. Nothing is impossible for God. You might be so obsessed with wealth. You may be so overwhelmed with debt. You may be so focused on stuff and possessions. And God can change your heart. Are you willing to admit that you need his help? Are you willing to recognize that he came to save the lost and that you yourself are lost? God has the power to be able to do that. And rather than worshiping wealth, we choose to use wealth to worship. I love this verse, Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. He gives to us, and so we give as a way to honor the giver. I love uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. Why does he love a cheerful giver? Because he is a cheerful giver. And we're made in his image. And when he gives to us and then we give to others, we are living out. His image is shining through us. God loves that. He is cheerful in giving to us every good and perfect gift. And he delights, he loves when we cheerfully reflect his image 
and giving to others. That's the unstoppable power of God. And that rich young man in his own pride, he he had the opportunity to tap into that power in that moment. And he could have become a cheerful giver, but it says that he went away sad. Matthew and Mark mention that he walks away at that point and then Peter opens his mouth in verse 28. It says, And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So in this story, we learn about the undetectable idolatry of money, how dangerous it is, the unstoppable power of God, how amazing it is, and then lastly, the unparalleled reward for disciples. The unparalleled reward. Jameson led us in that song. I love the line in the song that says, we will receive the reward that Christ has won. Whatever we give up is our gain, not as a reward for what we've done, but as a reward for what Christ has done for us, as for dying for our sin to give us the gift of eternal life. So Peter's observing the conversation and he recognizes, wait a second, I've done exactly what that man just refused to, refused to do. And rather, making up his own, rather than making up his own mind about what should happen to him, what does he do? He goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, help me to understand what's happening with us who have given up everything. And then Jesus talks about leaving house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, some people have used this verse to be very reckless with their immediate and with their extended family. Some people have used this verse as a sort of a, a get-out-of-jail-free card uh, to sort of, a sort of start fresh and to turn their back on their God-given responsibilities for their family and say that somehow God told them to neglect their family and go off and do something. That's, that couldn't be the furthest from what Jesus is getting at here. The context that Jesus is talking about is, is the, the conflict that is going to come in a disciple's life. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 31, can we get Matthew 10 on, this, on the screen there, where, where Jesus said, brother will, delo- will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. That's what Jesus is, is getting at here, that in choosing to follow Jesus, that will create conflict in our relationships, and people will walk away from us, not us walking away from them. Because some of the strongest language that's used in the New Testament is used towards someone who would try to use Jesus as an excuse for not looking after their family. Look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, verse 8, he says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so when we're talking about leaving everything behind, when we're talking about walking away from house or home or family, when we're talking about 
giving all that we have away, we also need to recognize that the New Testament teaches us about the responsibility we have to care for our loved ones, to care for our family members. And so let's be careful that we don't get reckless, but let's also be careful that we aren't so cautious that we're missing out on the opportunity that God has given us because God says that there are, at the end of verse 30, many times more. That rich young ruler who walked away, he didn't walk away with more, he walked away with less. He was given the opportunity to have many times more, not just in eternal life. Jesus said, in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. This is what Jesus has promised us. We might not have the same material wealth, but there is a wealth of having that relationship with God. Some of our family may turn their back on us, but we are put in a new family and we experience many times more in this life. So in this brief story about this rich ruler, we're we're warned about the undetectable nature of idolatry and money. We're encouraged by the unstoppable power of God and we're, we're further encouraged by this unparalleled reward that we get, not because we earned it, but because Jesus earned it for us. But in this story, there's this rich ruler who refused to give up what he had in order to hold on to something more valuable. But this story of this rich ruler, it's just a small story that's part of a bigger story. In this small story, there is a rich ruler, but the bigger story is about a richer ruler. And in this small story, the rich ruler refused to let go of what he had and But in the bigger story, this richer ruler delighted to let go of what he had to lay hold of something that was valuable to him. You see, the richer ruler is Jesus Christ, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on human form, being found in the nature of a servant, dying on the cross for us. He is the richer ruler, and he let it all go in order to lay hold of something valuable that is us. And when you truly understand that, that transforms our hearts. That enables that unstoppable power of God to come inside of us when we realize how much God loves us, how glorious God is. That is what causes us to leave everything behind. As we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, the things of earth, the possessions, the riches, the wealth, they become strangely dim. He is the richer ruler. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, and we'll close here. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Let's pray together.
God, I pray that your spirit would do a supernatural work, Lord, in each of us, that you would help us right now to comprehend the height and the depth and the width and the breadth, together here with all of the saints, to know how loving, how amazing, how glorious, how worthy you are. And God, I pray that that work would do so much in our hearts and in our lives that we are so focused on you, Lord God, that our focus would be not on the rich young ruler, that our focus would not be on the disciples and what they gave up, but our, our focus would be on you, that our gaze, that our focus would be completely on you and that as we focus on you, the true cheerful giver, that we would be so filled with joy to give that we would feel so filled with love because we know that we are loved, that we would be so content with what we have because we know we have you and that by your poverty you have made us rich. And so Jesus, I pray that you would help us to focus our attention on you, God. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would set us free from that idolatrous grip that money so often has us. And that you, would, that you would take that sin which so easily entangles and that we would lay it down, every hindrance, every, encumb- every encumbrance, God, and that we would follow you. So help us, we pray, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together and respond in song. Let's respond with worship, putting our focus on Jesus Christ, that rich ruler who gave it all and who is worth it all. Let's pray. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.